All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue now in our checklist of assurance for salvation. Checklist for assurance of salvation. So as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, here is a summation of last week's introductory message, and that is this. I know I'm saved because I have personally believed the truth of the gospel and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on God's word. That we took from our passage last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe some of you, uh, when I begin to quote this uh, song, where the tune will, will come into your mind, uh, I remember this, and, and I thought this was very interesting as we look at our subject tonight. There's a little song that sometimes we sing in Sunday school or children's church as kids. Do you know that you've been born again? Do you know that you've been born again? Does the Spirit dwell within bearing witness that you've been cleansed from every sin and stain? Wow. And so that is the second one. The first one, I know I'm saved because I have personally believed the truth of the gospel and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on God's word. Tonight, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. We're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 and go down through verse 17. I may go back and refer to some of the verses preceding this in Romans uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 and going down through uh, verse 11. But we're going to pick it up, Romans Chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, brethren. So who is he speaking to? Christians. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. That really sums up um, and is a transitional statement of the first uh, part of this entire chapter. Look, we are now walking in the Spirit. We are not to walk after the flesh. He says in verse 6, to be carnally or fleshly, old sin nature minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We are to be going through the process, according to Ephesians 4, 23, we are to be renewed or be being renewed in the spirit of our mind. God has not only transformed our eternity, we were under the sentence of eternal death. We have been granted the gift of eternal life. We were walking in spiritual darkness. Now we are walking in the light. We were part of the kingdom of darkness and we were under Satan's domain. Now we are part of God's kingdom and we are part of his eternal domain. And uh, we, uh, God has transformed not only our eternal future, but God is in the process of transforming our lives. As God transforms our lives, there is a change in the way that we think. We are not to think after. Matter of fact, Paul writes this in these first few verses. He goes, look, we're not to be thinking after the thoughts or the philosophy of this world, the present evil age. Who is the God, little g, of this world, the present evil age? Who is it? Satan. Satan is a what? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. So why should we believe his philosophy? Instead, we should believe God's word because God is truth. And Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, thy word, speaking to God the Father, the scriptures, he's saying is truth. We know that Christ is the word made flesh. That's why in John 8, the Bible says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is the truth. 
So I can say, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. So I am not a debtor. I am not any longer enslaved to think and choose and live according to the mindset of this godless culture that surrounds me. I'm to reach that gospel, that, that culture with the gospel. I'm to live a transformed life. But I don't follow after that thinking. I am following after the thinking as I am guided and taught by the Holy Spirit who transforms my thinking through the regeneration, the renewal of the word of God in my life. Now, go on to verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. There's destruction that way. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if you have not received the Spirit of for we and ye, uh, we could say either way, we, I love to put it, that there, we, because I'm a believer. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So Paul says, going back to verse 9, look at verse 9. He says, but if ye are not, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, what does it say? He is none of his. Okay. So Paul says expressly that possession of the Holy Spirit is a criterion for belonging to Christ. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But I love this. One writer said this. He said, I love the way he phrased this, so I'm going, I'm going to quote him. He said, God does not hold his children over the fires of anxiety regarding their salvation. Neither is it his pleasure to keep them guessing whether or not they belong to him. And God has sent his spirit into the hearts of the community of believers and to each individual a believer to produce an inner conviction based upon demonstrable change in character and conduct, thus reassuring Christians of God's sovereign and irrevocable love for them, freeing them for praise, witness, and service. So, this first evidence in this checklist of, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, is the gift and the seal of the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, again, led by and inspired of the Holy Spirit to write this truth, that we should be to the praise of His glory, which first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. What is earnest money? It's like upfront money. It's like a down payment. It's like you see a beautiful pickup truck for sale and you drop by to look at it and the guy tells you the price and it's just a great deal. And so you pull $100 out of your wallet and say, here's some earnest money. I'm going to run to the bank, get the rest of the cash. I'm going to come back. I'm going to buy this truck. Hold this for me. And that earnest money is your promise. I'm coming back to pay the full price. I'm going to purchase this truck. Here, here is this down payment in a sense. This is money to hold it. All right. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has been given to indwell us. And it, what it does is it shows the intention of God the Father to that full redemption. That is where we're going to have new body. Where we're going to have a glorified body. Where we have, as Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. 
The Bible talks about the fact that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is set in store in heaven for us. All these wonderful promises will come to pass. And one of the evidences, one of the things on which we base that confidence is that we have been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when do we get this Holy Spirit? After that, we believed. I believe that upon belief, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins have been cleansed. Hey, when do you receive eternal life? The moment you're saved. When do you enter into now a right relationship with God? The moment you're saved. When do you receive the Holy Spirit to indwell you? The moment that you are saved. We receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. He is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You see, God the Father gives uh, the Holy Spirit only to believers. And this picture, this filial or family picture is this. God the Father gives gifts to his children. Jesus said this in Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And so what Christ is saying there is that the Father gives the Spirit. So he gives the Spirit to his children individually. If you're not Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you are Christ, if you put your faith in him, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what's it talk about asking for the Holy Spirit? Well, that could be another message, right? As we're talking about the transition from the dispensation of the law to the dispensation of grace or the church age. Remember that Christ is speaking to the apostles there and to his disciples before the, before the official beginning of the church. When did the church officially begin? When do most Bible scholars put the pinpoint of the beginning of the church and the dispensation of the church age? Pentecost, right? Okay. And what happened at Pentecost? Who came at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. And he came in an open way, right? Illustrated by what? Tongue of a flame, like a flame of fire over the head, and the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Remember, we, we started our Sunday morning series. That was one of the first things that we talked about. And what was that? That was an evidence, and that was a fulfillment of the promise of Christ. Because Christ said, and here's the other thing, as the God the Father gives gifts to his children, so Christ, as the bridegroom, gave the Holy Spirit to his bride. Who's the bride? The church. And the church is made up of who? All born again believers. All right. Uh, Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, another meaning one of identical kind. And so Jesus Christ ascended up to the father, but he promised the apostles. He promised us, I'm going to send you another comforter, another one. And so we believe in the Trinity, right? There is one God expressed in three persons. So God in the person of his Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer at the moment of faith in Christ. And that is a wonderful reassurance to know that not only has the Holy Spirit come to indwell me, that I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul emphasizes that in chapter 1. In chapter 4, verse 30, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
So what was the seal? You've understand the illustration there that most of the writing back then would have would have been like in scrolls or parchment that was rolled up. And then where it was rolled up, where that line was across the paper, they would take hot wax and put some of that hot wax uh, on that. And then uh, a king or official would have a, a ring that would have a seal on it and he would stamp it. And it was saying, this is mine. And only the intended recipient is authorized by me to open it. Okay? And so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who can bust the seal? Nobody on earth. Right? What's God's promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. If you're truly born again, you have the Spirit of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You always have the Holy Spirit. What a joy. What a comfort. What a confidence to know that. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. God seals, claims us as his. That's what that signal. Hey, this is my official, whatever it is. You have no right to break that seal and trespass, whether that was through a gate or whether that was a, a, a document to be opened that claimed ownership. And so God's stamp of ownership on us is the seal of the Holy Spirit. It also reserves us that earnest, the down payment that we were talking about. I reserve eternity for, for you. You are reserved. You are mine for eternity. And then it preserves us. I love this. One writer said this. Listen to this, the, this wonderful, amazing imagery. He said, here's an imagery of family. He said, sin abducts like kidnaps. God adopts. Sin makes slaves. God makes children. Sin provokes fear. The spirit evokes trust. Sin foments rebellion and hostility. The spirit leads believers to appeal to God in the most intimate and urgent cry, Abba, Father. The paradox of grace is that those who deserve death are granted life. That ought to rejoice your soul. Because if we got what we deserved right now, we'd all be in the lake of fire. But man, we have received forgiveness of sin the gift of eternal life, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the the gift and the seal of the Holy Spirit is one of the assurances we have that we are born again and that we have eternal life. Not only do I know that I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, that is, there is the gift and the seal of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but also there is an inward evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look back in verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We no longer are in bondage to fear. Uh, I have a good friend of mine. His name is Mike Smith. Mike is a missionary of helps with biblical ministries worldwide. Mike and Stephanie Smith. A few years ago, they were up at the wilds working on some of the uh, junior boot camp dorms. Um, Mike and I uh, were buddies back at Faith Baptist Church in Longmont, Colorado, where I was a youth pastor. We were actually accountability partners. And one day, Mike and I were just talking about witnessing opportunities and stuff. And, and before he had gone full-time in mission work, well, he still kind of had his own construction and remodeling business. Um, and when I was not, it was back about the time I was just starting in, in, out in evangelism. And when I didn't have meetings and I was back in Longmont, I would just kind of help him. I just kind of be free labor to help him get construction projects done so that he could collect the money to meet the needs of his family and then go off on these mission trips. And he told me, though, one time right before that, when he was in secular work as a contractor, he was working on something. I can't remember what it was. But 
uh, he was working with a guy, and they'd had a couple of religious conversations, and, and one day he noticed this guy was just really, really troubled. And he asked him what was wrong, and the guy says, I, I'm scared to death. And Mike said, why are you so scared? And he says, because I sinned. And Mike says, okay, well, tell me more. And the guy says, I need to go back to church and get saved again. And if I don't make it back to church to get saved again, I'm going to die and burn in hell. His church taught him that if he sinned, he lost his salvation and that he had to be in church. He had to go to church to get saved again. Folks, that's heresy. That's contrary to the word of God. And that's contrary to this verse. We are not enslaved to fear that we are going to lose our salvation or come under the judgment and the condemnation of God. There's therefore how much condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? No, none. Zip. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Oh man, we've been forgiven. We have everlasting life. John 3, 36, he who hath, has, present tense. He who has a son has everlasting life. I have everlasting life. And God's not an Indian giver. <laughs> he holds me in his hand. The father does. And the son holds me in his hand. And the father and the son are one. I'm in the hands of God Almighty. My soul is secure in his care. I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. There's no way I can lose my salvation. And I don't have to be under that bondage of fear. If you say, you know what, I'm not. I know sometimes maybe Satan tries to make me doubt my salvation just here and there for whatever reason. And sometimes, and we'll talk about this later in the series, sometimes there is good reason for us to begin to doubt our salvation. Hey, listen, when you're not walking in fellowship, the longer you're out of fellowship, the less assurance you have that you even have a relationship. Let me say it again. When you're not walking in fellowship, the longer it is that you are not walking in fellowship, the more you're going to doubt whether you even have a relationship. And Satan will use anything he can to paralyze with fear, to sit on the sideline, to cause a person, a believer, to become distracted with this whole thing of assurance of salvation. And you don't have to go there. But if you walk in the Spirit, man, to walk in the Spirit is what? It's life and peace. But to be carnally minded is death. You'll begin to wonder, man, did I ever trust Christ as my Savior? You'll begin to come under that bondage of fear again because you are not walking in the Spirit and you're not having fellowship with Christ. Therefore, you're going to have, Satan's going to give you an excuse to doubt your salvation. But Christian, you don't have to go there. Now, we don't keep ourselves safe through good works. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Listen, any man should boast. The only thing that I did in order to be saved that was any of my own doing was to believe and call on Jesus Christ like a drowning victim calls for the lifeguard. I didn't save myself. There's no act of merit of mine. It was all an act of God's grace and mercy when I exercised faith in Jesus Christ. Why in the world would I think that I could somehow keep myself saved? I didn't save myself. Jesus saved me and Jesus keeps me. And what a wonderful assurance that we're no longer in bondage to fear. Number two, we have a disposition to walk according to the Holy Spirit. Look back in verse 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we have this disposition to be led of the Spirit of God. We have a disposition to walk according to the Holy Spirit. So here is a question for you. What is the context and inclination of your thinking? I'm talking about throughout the day, every day. What is the context and inclination of your thinking? 
Augustine said this. He said, before his salvation, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. (laughs) Christians are alerted to the ways of sin and are no longer ignorant of the as unresisting accomplices to the devil's work. See, an unbeliever is like, well, what's the big deal about sin, right? And, And I'm okay. But a believer recognizes, man, you know what? My sin, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. My sin had condemned me to eternal death in hell. Praise the Lord, I'm no longer under that condemnation. But I love what another writer said this. Though the basic disposition of the person whose life is controlled by the Holy Spirit is indeed life and peace... This does not mean that such an individual is no longer deeply sorry for his sin and ardently wishing to be rid of it. In fact, the more thoroughly he is under the Holy Spirit's control, the knowledge of which gives him life and peace, the more also he will regret and fight against his remaining sinfulness. Amen. The more I'm walking in the Spirit, the more fellowship I have with Christ, the more I recognize any nuance of sin in my life and hate it that much more and want God to give me the victory in that area of my life. Amen. If you look back, in, you know, the Bible says um, that if we live after the flesh, we'll die. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. That means to, to, to make dead, right? Okay? So this Greek verb for to put to death is in the present tense. So it's indicating a continual action. It in, indicates uh, that the battle with sin is not a momentary event. No matter how sincere we are about it, it's a lifetime commitment. The Holy Spirit is not a promise to those who succeed in overcoming sin, but God's abiding presence in the midst of the flesh and sinful nature. The ability, I love this, the ability to sustain warfare against sin signals the Holy Spirit's presence. There are a lot of people, and I want to stop because I I, I want to just hit this for just a moment. But this is just kind of like a sampler like you get when you go into Sam's Club. It's a sampler of something that's going to come later. Okay? But I want to hit, I want to hit on this just a little bit tonight. And I, I really meditated whether I wanted to do this or not, but I think the Lord wants me to. If you struggle against sin, that's a good sign. I have a lot of people that have dealt, I've dealt with, uh, with assurance of salvation that say, Pastor Todd, I just, I don't know that, that as a Christian that, 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 I can, that, that a Christian can sin as much as I do and still be saved. And I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what's your attitude towards this sin? And they say, I hate it. I don't want it. But I find myself yielding to it. But I don't want to. I want to gain victory over it. And I'm struggling. But that makes me question, could I really be saved when I keep struggling with this sin? Guess what? If you were spiritually dead, you wouldn't struggle. If you can go on in a blasé fashion over sin in your life, not consider it as an offense against God and something serious, if you don't care and if God never chastises you and disciplines you as his child, if it never bothers you, if you can sin and enjoy it and revel in it and think it's no big deal, put a huge question mark over your salvation. But if sin bothers you and you struggle with it and, and you want God to cleanse you and you want to be transformed and there's, there is a, a heart in you to fight against that sin, that is an evidence that you have spiritual life in you and that the Spirit of God can enable you to walk in victory. Aren't you glad, as the psalmist said, that God knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. 
Aren't you glad we serve a patient God who is in the process of transforming? In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful context of God's grace that our lives are planted in God's grace so that we can go through that slow, arduous process of spiritual growth to become like Christ. And then the concurrent testimony. Not only do we have a disposition to walk according to the Holy Spirit, not only do we no longer live under the bondage of fear of eternal death, but also there's the concurrent testimony of our spirit with the Holy Spirit that we are born again children of God. Look Look in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I say concurrent because it is not the Holy Spirit that says, yeah, yeah, I dwell in you, you're saved. It's not just a one-way thing. It's the Holy Spirit. My spirit says, hey, I know I'm saved. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit says, yes. And so together it is a concurrent witness. My spirit and the Holy Spirit both bear witness. And they are in agreement that I am the child of God. Spirit fills us with a sense of freedom and confidence so that in approaching God, we utter that joyful recognition and filial trust. Abba, Father. In fact, the Spirit confirms uh, that to which our own regenerated souls already bear witness, that we believers are God's own children, having been adopted by Him. The Holy Spirit's presence in our spirit provides confirmation of our adopted status. We have been, we've received the adoption of sons. And then third, not only the gift and the sealing of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then second, the inward evidence of the indwelling by the Holy Spirit, but third, the external manifestation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because you say, I've been, when you you say, "Well, well, Pastor Todd, can I have this confidence? I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. How do I know that? Is it just this sense, the Holy Spirit, my spirit bearing witness? That is a part of it. But it is also that there is an inward evidence. I'm no longer slaving under the bondage of fear of eternal death. I am no longer, I have a disposition to walk according to the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that the flesh does not rear its ugly head? Does it mean that there are no spiritual battles in my life? No, until the day I die, I'll be fighting in spiritual warfare. But the desire is to grow more like Christ. To have victory in my life against sin. To be a consecrated vessel fit for the master's use. And then the concurrent testimony of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. These are all inward evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then the external manifestation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When I think of that, I think first of all of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we're very, we're very familiar with that. As I read this again, just it's so familiar, we can skip over it, we can breeze over it, but stop and think, are these things manifesting your life? Because fruit takes time to mature, right? But fruit is the result of life and of health. A diseased tree is going to have a hard time producing fruit. The fruit it produces will be kind of puny, but a healthy tree is going to produce good fruit, right? And if that tree has life, It's going to be evident. And the more mature that tree is, the more likely the evidence will be of that fruit. So it is in the believer's life. 
as you walk with the Lord, as you're walking in the Spirit, as you learn, and, and as the Spirit of God transforms you and you submit to Him, there will be this evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Hey, listen, do you have a love for the brethren? You know, there's the old thing, well, you know what? I really don't need to go to church. I can worship God in my deer stand or on my bass boat. <laughs> or maybe for you ladies, I can worship the Lord up in commerce going through all of Uh-huh. Yeah, going through the outlets and shopping. No, you know what? There's going to be, by this shall I know that you're my disciples, John 13, 35, that you have love one for another. One of the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit is that you love to be with God's people, and you love God's people. I believe there's also uh, uh, this love. We love him, 1 John 4, 19, speaking of Christ, because he first loved us, there's going to be an evident love in my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that there's going to be a compassionate love in my heart towards unbelievers. Because you know what? If I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, then I'm going to love who God loves. And who does God love? The entire world. Believers and unbelievers. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. You say, Pastor Todd, I don't see these things in my life as, as, as fruitfully or, or as uh, prolifically as I would like to see it, but I, I know it's there. And I want to see God grow it in my life. I want to bear more of the fruit of the Spirit. But that's an external manifestation, the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Acts 4.31, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Man, have you ever gotten into a conversation with somebody and the God, God just, one of those divine appointments we we're talking about this morning, God just lays that divine appointment in your lap and you find yourself boldly approaching that person. I'm not talking about pre- get, sticking your finger in their face, thus saith the Lord, and, and start railing on people. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about there is a boldness. And you know what? While you're witnessing to that person, you say, man, this is not like me. Man, this is the Holy Spirit working through me. There's a boldness, there's a confidence in the Word of God. There's a compassion for that soul. One of the evidences, one of the external evidences is that there is a boldness in our gospel witness. And then a loyalty to Christ that is willing to suffer for Him. Look at Romans 8, 17, the last verse in our context, in our text tonight. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. It's a loyalty to Christ that is willing to suffer for Him. I I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He first loved me. He saved me. He's indwelt me by his Holy Spirit. He's given me a wonderful family. He's given me an eternal future in heaven. He is with me. His Holy Spirit indwells me. There is such comfort. There is such guidance. Uh, I'm so thankful for the Lord's discipline in my life when he confronts me with things in my life that need to be changed and that he doesn't stop there, but then he leads me through the word of God into that truth to show me how to, by his grace, be changed and transformed and to please him oh man he suffered shame for me what a privilege it would be for me to suffer for him now i don't go around picking fights and i'm not going to be obnoxious for the sake of the gospel all right we were supposed to proclaim the truth in love we're supposed to be gracious and kind our savior went about doing good but you know what we need to be willing to suffer for his sake And one of the evidences that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God is that there is a spirit-filled boldness not only to proclaim the gospel, but a willingness 
to suffer for his sake. The suffering might just be that we were ignored, passed over for a promotion, <clears throat> mocked on social media, whispered about in our neighborhoods, avoided at work, or maybe something even more serious. But you know what? The Holy Spirit indwelling us, the sweet fellowship that we have with our God is something that we don't want to forfeit for fellowship with man. Now, I'm not talking about walking around with our head in the clouds where we're not social beings. Look, we're in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to reach the world. We've been given the Great Commission. We're supposed to be scattering the seed of the gospel everywhere, even in places where we don't want to. Remember this morning's message? But you know what? We don't so value the praise and the friendship of men that we are willing to compromise our fellowship with Christ in order to have men's fellowship and praise. Instead, we will be loyal to our God, the one who through his Holy Spirit indwells us. I know that I'm saved because I personally believe the truth of the gospel and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on God's word. And second, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. If you have any questions, if you have, uh, if you would like some follow-up study material on this, please come and see me. I would be glad to help you to get some resources into your hands uh, to help you. We can look through some things. If you have questions, it helps you uh, on your path of studying the Word of God and getting the help that you need. Um, but you know what? God wants you, if you're a believer, He wants you to know that you have eternal life. And He wants you to be equipped to be able to help others know that they have eternal life. What a wonderful comfort and encouragement we can be to others by being equipped with this truth ourselves. What great confidence we can, we have based not on our feelings, not on our circumstances, but on the promises and the teachings of the word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you made salvation available to all. For the word of God tells us that whosoever will may come. We know you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you have given us the wonderful mission and privilege of proclaiming the gospel, of gospelizing the gospel to every creature. Lord, wherever we have opportunity and to whatever extent, as we pray for those divine appointments, may we be faithful. It is not our job to convict men. It is yours. We can't save anybody. We can't change anybody's heart and mind. We can simply share the truth and trust your Holy Spirit to do the work of ministering that truth in their heart. Help us then, Lord, to be faithful. Thank you for the gift of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, you in the person of your Holy Spirit are with us to comfort us, to instruct us, to correct us, to guide us, to fellowship with us, and to confirm with us in our spirit that we know we are yours. What great joy and confidence we have. You are so good and faithful. And if there is somebody watching by way of live stream tonight or somebody that's here in our very midst that does not have that wonderful assurance, may they seek somebody who can sit down with the word of God and review the gospel plan of salvation with them. Ask them some searching questions and help them work through that to where they either put their faith in Christ as Savior or if they're a believer but just been struggling with doubt that they can know that they have eternal life. Or maybe even just what I touched on tonight. Maybe there is a disobedient believer that's been walking out of fellowship with you for a while 
and having been out of fellowship with you, they are less assured that they even have a relationship with you. Oh, Father in love, won't you draw that prodigal back to yourself and receive them with joy into fellowship and usefulness. Now, Lord, we pray that as we dismiss from here, it would be with your blessing and with your protection. Help us, Lord, to be an encouragement to one another, even as we fellowship tonight after the service. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we'll stand and we'll dismiss by singing a closing chorus. Parents, remember that there is a teen meeting immediately after this in the teen attic for parents of our teens, so we need at least one parent representing up there. Okay, all right, let's stand. Brother John will lead us in the dismissing chorus. If I can be of help to you, please come and see me. Hymn number 450, A Child of the King.